Good evening, everyone. It's great to um, be here to preach the Word tonight. Thank you, Abby and team. That was an absolute blessing to have you leading us. The question went out, what was the best part of your day by Nick and Sana? Uh, Well, I've got to say the last uh, 15 minutes worshipping has been the best part of my day. Uh, Church this morning was also good, but uh, uh, but also... uh, Nick and Sana's intro. That was a very close second. <laughs> that was excellent. So well done, guys. And uh, But it's great to be back on a Sunday night preaching the Word. And um, it's cool that uh, circumstances with uh, the way things are progressing in South Australia allows us to keep being here and doing this. And so that's really exciting as we move forward. Uh, we're starting a new series tonight. And it's a series from uh, the book of 1 Peter in the New Testament. And the book of 1 Peter is a letter uh, written by a guy called Peter, who we'll talk about in a minute, but it's written to a scattered community, to Christians who are kind of scattered all over the place and are experiencing tough times. And so as we thought about it, we're like, well, that kind of sounds like now, and that sounds like a pretty good thing for us to be teaching about. Thought I'd remind us before we get into the Word tonight, why do we actually do this? Why do we open up this ancient book and study it? Passage by passage, we're going to study a letter that was written by a guy called Peter 2,000 years ago to a group of people in modern-day Turkey. Why do we open this up and study it in detail? The answer is because we believe this is, though it was written by human hands, we believe this is also the inspired Word of God. And we believe that it is a living Word that the living God wants to speak through by His Holy Spirit. So we open it up and study it in the belief that God is going to speak through it tonight. We're not just going to learn history or we're not just going to gain information, but we're going to actually experience God working in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives tonight as we study this word. And really that's our prayer, that God would not just kind of inform you about stuff or let you know stuff about this letter, but that God would actually touch your heart, would speak to you, would change you tonight. And so we preach in the faith that God is going to work through his word tonight. And basically, I'm going to kind of teach through this. I'm going to go verse by verse, bit by bit, because I kind of feel like every bit of it's so good. And the simplest way to deal with it is just by verse by verse working through it. So let me read uh, 1 Peter Chapter 1, verse 1 to 12, and then we'll get into it. And then I'll pray, and then we'll get into it. 1 Peter, chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ, And sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith is shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though for now, uh, for a little while, you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, 
may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told, told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. All right, there's a lot in that passage. Let's pray and we're going to get into it. Father, pray you'll speak through your word tonight. I pray for every single person who is listening to this message, wherever they are, sitting in their lounge room, sitting in bed, uh, listening to this as they drive in the car, whatever the circumstances, uh, in South Australia, interstate, overseas, whatever it is, I pray you would speak by your spirit into our hearts tonight, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when I was uh, in my mid-20s, I guess it was, uh, maybe late 20s, Mel and I had been married for a few years. We went overseas and we, uh, we stayed in London or just out of London in Cambridge for about a week uh, with some family. And uh, we had a chance, we got tickets to a Premier League football match. Now, for me, this was kind of a big thing. I'm a sports lover, as everyone knows, because I talk about it in just about every sermon I preach. Um, but uh, we got tickets to go. Uh, the, the game that was playing on the day that we were, we were in, in, uh, able to go into, down into London to watch a game was uh, Tottenham versus uh, Crystal Palace. The Tottenham Hotspurs versus Crystal Palace at White Hart Lane. So we went in and we, we had our tickets and we went into the ground. And uh, I love the atmosphere at a sporting match. You know, I love the crowd, I love cheering, I love the chanting, but, uh, you know, I love the crows. And when you go to the crows, though, there's really just one chant that happens, right? It, it basically goes Adelaide, clap, 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 right? And pretty much every AFL club, that's it. That's all you're getting, right? Just the name of the team followed by three claps. Um, okay, maybe there's some others. We're getting some, some other suggestions, but not many. But when you go to a Premier League game, there is all these different songs that they sing. And so we went into the ground and we're sitting there and the, the opposition supporters who are all bunched together in one quarter, they start singing and they're singing all their songs and they're making a lot of noise and the Tottenham fans to start with are, are quiet and the, the Palace fans start this chant, which is just really pretty stupid chant actually, they just start singing these three words, they say, who are you? That's like the worst football chant ever. Who are you? Who are you? And that's what they, that's what they start chanting. Who are you? And uh, I'm going to come back to this story and what happens at the end. But what I'm talking about tonight is the question, who are you? Who are you? It's a very good question to know the answer to. Who are you? This passage, the key question it is asking is about identity. Who are you? Who are you? Interestingly, for those who listened to the message this morning, we'll know that Dave preached about the start of Jeremiah and Jeremiah's call, and he also ended up speaking about identity. I didn't even know he was going to do that. But as he said, identity is not defined by how many likes you got on your last Facebook post. 
Identity is not defined by the curated image or brand, personal brand that you predict uh, put forward on Instagram. Your identity is not defined by your career. Your identity, identity is not defined by your dress code um, or by the car you drive or by any of these things. There is something more that should define your identity. And tonight we're looking into that. We're looking into that through this passage where true identity is found. So let's start verse 1 of chapter 1. We're going to work through this bit by bit. I'm going to take my time particularly with verse 1 and 2 and then go through the rest of it a little quicker. But it starts off saying, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now when you get a letter, uh, if you're going to understand that letter, one of the key things that you need to know is who wrote it. Right? As a pastor, every now and then I get a letter written to me, uh, but someone people don't, don't put their name on the end. Uh, generally, it's not a particularly pleasant letter. I've only got a couple of these, but if they don't put their name on the end, uh, I file them very quickly in a special filing system right behind my, beside my desk. If it's got a name on it, I'll always respond to it. But if I don't know who it is, uh, yes, that one, uh, that one gets filed for recycling. Um, So often we read the Bible and we don't actually know who wrote the letter or wrote the section, but actually to really understand it, we need to know who wrote it. So let's let's have a look at who wrote this. So Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now the Peter that wrote this is the Peter who was the first disciple, uh, along with his brother Andrew, who was called by Jesus. Peter was a fisherman. And as we read in Matthew, one day he was uh, fishing on the on the, the shores on the banks of the uh, the uh, Sea of Galilee, and Jesus came along and Jesus called him and said, "Come, follow me." And it says that Peter left his nets immediately and walked away with Jesus and followed him. And so we know from this that uh, Peter had pretty humble beginnings. He had pretty low education. He was not raised as a scholar of the Torah, the, uh, the Old Testament. He was not part of the ruling class or the priestly tribe or an important person. He was a very ordinary bloke. Uh, it was the same Peter who, um, uh, Peter's actually a fascinating, we know more about Peter than almost any other person other than Jesus in the New Testament. Um, more is spoken about Peter. Um, Peter was the guy who, uh, when um, there was a storm and they were in the boat out in the Sea of Galilee and they saw Jesus walking on the water, he's the guy that went to the edge of the boat and stepped and walked on the water for a few seconds until he looked down and began to sink. And that kind of characterizes Peter's character. He was a guy that jumped in, he was bold, he was confident. Maybe you know someone like this, their faith is like, they're like first in, first out of the boat. But also he's someone who uh, sometimes his boldness would go before his wisdom or his maturity. And so there'd be times when he'd do something great followed by something stupid. He was the guy who, when Jesus said, who do you say I am? He was the first person who recognized Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God. Uh, But in the very next passage of Scripture, he's the guy when Jesus predicts his death, says, hey, that's not going to happen. I'm going to get in the way of that. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And that's the kind of guy Peter was. Peter was a guy who said to Jesus, uh, when Jesus spoke again of his death, he said, Jesus, I'm ready to go with you and to die with you. Jesus said to Peter, you know, before the, before the sun rises in the morning and the, and the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny me three times. And uh, Peter was the one that, um, that did deny Jesus, but he was also the one that Jesus restored uh, and the one Jesus commissioned to be a leader in the church. It was Peter who stood up in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost and preached the gospel 
that saw thousands of people saved. There's something about Peter I love, much about Peter I love. There's something about Peter we can learn uh, just, just through who he is. This is what we learn. Firstly, God uses ordinary people to accomplish his extraordinary mission. Peter was an ordinary bloke. And, uh, and I'm an ordinary bloke. And you might be there and you might be an ordinary bloke or an ordinary lady or, uh, or whatever. And you might not be the wisest or the most educated or whatever. It doesn't really matter what your background and who you are. Jesus chooses ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things, his extraordinary mission. Secondly, God uses flawed people. Peter made a lot of mistakes and uh, Jesus gave him a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance and a fifth chance. I'm so thankful that God is a God who gives people who are flawed an opportunity to serve him. And the third thing is that God always gives people, I've already said this, he uses flawed people and he gives people a second chance, third chance, fourth chance. So Peter's the author and this letter is written about roughly around 64 AD, not too long before the end of Peter's life. And we know from history that Peter was martyred by crucifixion for his faith in Jesus. So what does this say about, uh, what do we see about identity here? Well, Peter, in this first little bit, Peter says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Peter defines his identity through his relationship with Jesus. That's what I see in those first, what, five words. Uh, Secondly, to to whom was this letter written and what do we know about their identity? Well, it's uh, written to God's elect, exiles and scattered. I want to talk about what it means to be God's elect, to be exiles and to be scattered. To be God's elect, uh, he talks about it in in the second verse here. He says, chosen people who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. First thing I want to highlight there is that salvation uh, happens through the work of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. That's a Trinitarian passage right there. I think that's pretty cool. It's not just the work of Jesus. It's not just the work of the Spirit. It's not the work of the Father. It's God, Father, Son, and Spirit working together to save us and then to change us into his likeness. Uh, That's an awesome thing. Uh, Chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And... um, what have I got here? Uh, sometimes we think about choosing Jesus as it's completely our choices, though we might uh, you know, choose a new car. We sort of have a look at a few, uh, you know, we, we, look, we go online, we inspect a few, we make a few decisions, and in the end it's like, we're, we, right, we're ready to make our decision. But actually, there's something about salvation which is actually primarily it's God choosing us. And yes, I believe we have a part in responding to God's call to us. But actually, um, God's chosen us. He chooses us. It's a work in which he calls us. Becoming a Christian is, is actually about how God reaches out to us before we've ever reached out to him. It's about how God knows us before we ever know him. It's about how God loves us before we ever loved him. And so often when people become a Christian, it's as though they've been chasing after God and they've been pursuing God and they make a decision of faith. And upon doing that, when they look back, they think they were the one pursuing God. But what do, they, what do we discover? Actually, God was the one pursuing us all along. God was making a way for us. And God is the one who elects and chooses those who he chooses and calls to himself. And he draws us to himself in love. So we're chosen by God and we are, um, we're also sanctified by the work of the Spirit. What is sanctification? It's a big theological word, but basically that word is about how God makes us more like himself. 
And His Spirit is at work in us, changing us from the inside out to be more like Him. Christianity is not about outward appearances. It's not about changing our, our external appearance or our, our dress code. We don't have to put on robes and dress like Jesus and grow a beard and long hair. Thankful for that. Uh, but it's about how God changes our likeness from the inside out. That's the sanctifying work of the Spirit. And he, and he changes us to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. A, a reference to the cross and the saving work of Jesus on the cross where his blood is poured out. And it's the blood of Jesus which covers our sin. This is a reference to the Old Testament where the blood was, a, uh, was poured out in the sacrifices and was a way of bringing uh, purity and cleansing. Okay, so the, to God's elect, that's the first thing. And the second word is, well, I'm going to go to scattered first of all. So there's scattered people. This is a people who are mainly to Jews, but also to Gentiles, but they're scattered right throughout the area that is actually modern-day Turkey. Uh, so it references places like Asia. This isn't referring to Asia as we know it, but actually a part of ancient Turkey. And so he's writing to not just to one group of people. Uh, the Apostle Paul would often write to like the people in Corinth or the people in Ephesus. Uh, but this is written to a whole group of people. And it's kind of God's people who are kind of scattered all throughout this whole area, all these little towns and cities. And he's writing to all of them. And it's interesting, he's kind of saying to them, you're sort of scattered throughout all these areas, but you are actually still together. You're actually still God's gathered people, even when you feel scattered. And that's why it's so relevant to us right now. Because we're kind of living in our homes and we're kind of living in these little pockets and we're not seeing our church, we're not coming together as one. But even though we're scattered, we're actually still together. We're actually still the chosen people of God. We're actually still the people who have been brought together and God is at work in and through. Uh, so that's God's scattered people. And the third word is exiles I want to talk about. Uh, Peter calls his readers exiles. Another word is strangers. Uh, in other translation, it'll be foreigners. Exiles, strangers, and foreigners. He says that to these people here, but also we are exiles. We are strangers and we should be understand that our identity is foreigners in this place, in this world. The, the question that, uh, that is core to identity is actually where you're from. Uh, part of your core identity is where you're from. Like uh, for most of us who are hearing this, we're, we're Aussies, right? We're Australian and that kind of is part of our identity. And it kind of is, is deeply bound to us. Others have come into Australia from another country. So we've got this heritage from another place. And even though we now, now might be Aussies, there's this deep link to, a, to another heritage about where we're from originally, where, where our home is. And um, it's just a really important part of defining who we are. Where is your home? And as this passage is going to talk about, we've actually got a home that is not part of this earth or even this life that we are citizens of heaven and so while we're on earth there's always going to be a sense that we are exiles or strangers Paul uses the term that we are Christ's ambassadors an ambassador is someone who goes and lives in another place for a while but even though they're living in another place they don't belong to that place that's not their home they've got another home that they're going to return to eventually and so their action in that place and their identity in that place is defined by the fact that it's not actually their home, but they've actually got a home that they're waiting for. We're going to see later in this passage that we are citizens of heaven. And that's, that defines our identity, that we always should be exiles in this world. 
And I don't know, sometimes, in fact, often in this world, I feel a bit uncomfortable. I feel I don't fit in. I look at stuff and I, I just feel like um, it does, a lot of stuff in this world doesn't sit right with me. And I don't think it should sit right with us who are believers. There are a lot of stuff that shouldn't sit right with us and we shouldn't get too comfortable and too settled in this place that we lose sight of the fact that heaven is our home. So this is the people and this is us. God's elect, exiles and scattered. Let me say one more thing about scattered because I missed it in my notes. Uh, We are also scattered kind of at the moment living in our home. But even in our normal life, when everything gets back to normal and we go back to work, God has sort of scattered us right through so many different workplaces and sporting teams and social groups and streets that we live in and all of this thing. And part of God's plan is that he does scatter us. And it's good to be in a way scattered. It's good to come together, but it's actually also good not just to live together in a bubble as Christians. That's actually not healthy. Because how can we be a witness to the world if we totally remove ourselves from the world? So it's good to be scattered, it's good to be exiles, and it's good, very good to be God's elect. All right, grace and peace be yours in abundance. That's the blessing he says at the end there. And then he gets into the main part of the passage. Let me me move on then to verse 3, and I'm going to move through this much quicker. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, These words are so powerful. In his great mercy... He has given us what? New birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. This is what I've just been talking about. Who through faith is shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last times. Now, if you've been tracking with, uh, with my preaching, and I'll just uh, take it on, uh, I'll just assume that everyone is and, and has been listening to my last few messages. Um, I came to this passage and I read it and I suddenly realized that basically the, this is the third sermon in a row that I think is saying basically the same things. It keeps talking about eternity. It keeps talking about heaven. Like three weeks ago, if you remember, I preached about Ecclesiastes, wisdom for finding meaning. I preached kind of the broad coverall of the whole book of Ecclesiastes. And the message was of Ecclesiastes was that success and wealth and material gain and possessions and all these things do not bring ultimate meaning if you leave eternity and God out of the picture. But true meaning, wisdom is found, meaning is found in knowing that all of this is temporary and we are made for that which is eternal. That was, two, that was about three weeks ago. And then last week, Resurrection Sunday, I preached about one word, which was eternity. Also in Ecclesiastes, he has set eternity in our hearts. And I preached a message about, um, about, about present struggles and, and all the troubles of this life, but what is, uh, what is in this world is temporary. What is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. What is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. I preached about eternity. And then I open up 1 Peter 3, and I hear about this living hope that we have gained through the resurrection of Jesus into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. What's he talking about? He's talking about eternity. Again, I thought to myself, uh, what am I going to say this week? <laughs> I thought, why is this the case? Why is this the case? And I think that nothing 
happens uh, in God's plans without a reason. And I actually think it's so important. I think that at the moment, what we're finding is so many things are being stripped away and so many things are being exposed and so many things are being taken from people, uncertain times, difficult times, uncomfortable times. And maybe, just maybe, God is wanting to say in this time, he's wanting to put up a big signpost, which is saying whether you are a Christian or not a Christian, whether you believe or not, whatever the case, you need to lift up your eyes and actually place your whole life in the perspective of a eternity because so quickly so easily we fix our eyes just in the troubles and the circumstances and the situations of this life lift up your eyes you know Christians long ago kind of probably saw their whole life as a faith was was about what was to come it was built very much on on believing for what is to come and then there's been a whole shift where people realize, no, no, faith is about so much more than that. Faith is about the blessings of God now and, and experiencing God now and, and, and the, the touch of God on our lives now. And that is so true. But also I think there's been a, maybe a shift too much in the wrong direction. We've almost forgotten about eternity. And so I think God is just bringing us back again and again and again to say he has set eternity in our hearts. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. And there is an inheritance that is for us that can never perish, spoil, or fade. I don't know, do you ever, do you ever wish or dream sometimes about the idea of having some massive inheritance, you know, being the child of a billionaire? Okay, it's probably just me. Um, but, uh, you know, wouldn't that be cool, you think, to have this great inheritance? You know, we have an inheritance that is greater than the greatest material inheritance that any human has ever received. You think about a, I don't know, a richest Australian, I think is James Packer, maybe that's changed now, but certainly it was when he inherited everything from his father, Kerry Packer. He overnight became a multi-billionaire. Can you imagine that? Well, it's actually brought him great grief and trouble and difficulty. But we have an inheritance that is stored up for us that can never perish or spoil or fade. It's kept in heaven for us. What a blessing that is to know. So what's our, what's our, what's our identity? Our identity is people whose citizenship is in, he, is in heaven. And the fact that we have an inheritance that is in heaven reflects on us the truth that we are children of God. Because it's children who inherit the blessings and the things that are the ownership of their parents, of the Father. We inherit from the Father and we are heirs and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. So um, that's what it tells us about our identity. But then it goes on to say this, in all this we greatly rejoice, but then it gets to the challenging part. Though for now, for a little while, you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials you see the people that that Peter writes to are people who are actually experiencing persecution and they're struggling because of their faith they're experiencing grief and trials because they're followers of Jesus and this sort of is all sorts of different levels from major persecution to minor persecution and so we, it's worth mentioning when we whenever we talk about persecution that there are actually Christians that right now today are suffering for their faith in Jesus and being persecuted and we should pray for them because we uh, have a great deal of freedom in this country. And I know we've, we've sort of felt that that freedom is getting a little impinged on. But there are Christians today who are genuinely being persecuted for their faith. 
If you're a Christian, let's pray for persecuted Christians. They need our prayers. They need our practical support too. But all of us, whether in Australia or whether overseas, all of us now experience the difficulty of this. In fact, part of our identity is that right now in this life, we will suffer trials and trouble and we will experience grief in our lifetime. It's part of our identity. Occasionally I'll see a, a, a shiny preacher wearing a great shiny suit and he'll stand up and he'll preach a message that basically says Christians aren't meant to suffer. That Jesus is going to kind of protect us from all of that and we're going to live this easy life and, and life is about prosperity and God just blessing you and giving you everything you could have dreamed of. Well, does God bless us? Absolutely. Does God help us in our life? Absolutely. But is suffering and grief and trials also part of life? Yes, it is. And we get our faith very wrong if we think that we just make a decision of faith to follow Jesus and then we're on this kind of easy street on the conveyor belt where everything's just smooth and nice and it's just uh, everything just kind of heads upwards and, and, and better and better and better and better. Life is full of trouble. It's full of difficulty. But in this life, there can still be rejoicing. Because we know the hope that we have and we know the inheritance that awaits us. You know, I love the story of Paul and Silas who are in jail. And it says that uh, they've been put in jail because of their faith and because they were testifying about Jesus. And they're put in the, I think, the deepest part of the jail. And it says that about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God while they were chained up in prison. And I think, what must the other prisoners in that prison be doing at midnight and saying to them? Like, seriously, they would have been going like, can you guys just cut it out? Can you just be quiet? We're trying to sleep in here. Or maybe knowing that they were Christians, they probably would have been saying, you idiots. You know, you believed in Jesus. You were, oh, you're those people that follow Jesus. You're followers of the way. Look what good it's bought you. You're in jail you guys, are going to be, you guys are going to be whipped and beaten. You guys, could, be, you guys could, could die because of this. And you believed in Jesus and this is where it's led you and now you're singing at midnight? Are you joking me? What happens? Well, their chains fall off and they get out of prison. But you know, uh, even if their chains didn't fall off, they were going to keep praising. They kept praising right to the end. They kept praising right to the end. There's a verse in Scripture. This has just come to me. It's not in my notes. And it says something like uh, uh, someone, and this is so random because I don't even know the story or the person or the passage or the book, but it basically says this. It basically says this. It says, we are going to keep praising and God's going to save us. But even if he doesn't, we're going to keep worshipping him. I think it's Daniel. Help me out, Nick. Yeah, 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 yeah. Shadrach, Meshach, and I'm from Bendigo. Yes, um, that is the passage. Basically, they say, we're going to keep praising God, and he's going to save us. But even if he doesn't save us, we're going to keep praising him. Why? Because they've understood this concept of present suffering and future glory. Because the gospel we believe in is the now but not yet kingdom. Have we experienced God? Yes, but not in full. Have we been saved? Yes, but we still suffer. But we have a future that awaits us where we will not suffer, where we will not struggle, where there will not be grief, where there will not be trials. And this is a great comfort. It goes on to say in verse 8, Though you have not seen him, you love him. 
Even though you do not see him, know you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. What does it say in 2 Corinthians? It says, now we, now we know in part, but then we will know fully, just as we're fully known. Now I see in part, now I see as though like looking through a mirror dimly. Now I see it's like a fogged up mirror. Yes, we experience God and it's a wonderful thing to know God in our hearts. It's a wonderful thing to know the presence of God and the blessings of God. But if you experience God now in part, let me tell you, it is nothing to when we get to heaven and we see him face to face. And for those who have gone before us, for those who have lost loved ones, for those who grieve now, the comfort in that grief is to know that they are seeing God, that they are seeing Jesus, they are seeing the Father face to face. What a wonderful, wonderful thing. Though we have not seen him, we love him. Though we do not see him now, we believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For we are receiving the end result of our faith, the salvation of our souls. Um, oh, so much to preach here. I've gone ahead of myself. Verse 7 speaks about how these trials come that the proven genuineness of our faith uh, which is of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, fire may result in praise and glory and honour. These things are refining us, like gold is refined in the fire. And you know, when gold is refined in a fire, what happens is all the impurity and all the dross is, is stripped away and is taken away and is washed away. And it, what is exposed is the pure purity of what is really valuable. I remember this story once about how I conducted a wedding uh, at, a, at the very first church I was part of, which is Marian Church of Christ, great church. And, um, and the couple wanted to have communion in the wedding. And so we thought, well, because it's a wedding, we want to get a nice, beautiful kind of cup for them to drink from. So we raided the cupboards of the church and we found this uh, cup that was completely black and looked uh, really bad. But uh, someone said to me, it's, I reckon that's a silver cup. I reckon that's you know, if you clean it up, uh, it's going to look good. So they, I said, well, how do I clean it up? They said, well, you need to go and get some silvo, which is stuff that you use to clean silver, apparently. And, uh, and, and you rub the cup and see what happens. So I did. And I grabbed the silvo and bought that and I got the cloth out and started to rub this cup. And it was unbelievable. It was a revelation. Because underneath all this soot and gross black stuff was this absolutely beautiful pure silver cup and we exposed what was beautiful maybe in your life right now god is exposing and bringing to the to the to clarity what is most valuable what is most valuable is ultimately things that are not temporary the things that are not material and physical in this world but things that are eternal and the inheritance that god has for us the suffering of, of, uh, that we experience and the suffering that Jesus experienced is part of life. The, the prophets, it goes on to say, the prophets who, who searched and wanted to write and record what was revealed to them by the Father about the coming Messiah, they spoke about the sufferings that he would receive and then they also spoke about the glory that he would, he would uh, come into. And you know, the glory that Jesus has come into as a risen saviour is a great glory, but it's not actually complete yet because Jesus is going to return and Jesus is going to win the final victory and he's going to defeat the evil one. And then we will be caught up in the ultimate glory that is being revealed in Jesus. It will be a glory that is so great that this passage finishes by saying this, even angels long to look into these things. 
The angels who we know that even now are kind of in heaven and giving glory to God and enjoying the glory of God. But it says actually there is a glory that is to come that the angels look forward to. And I can't even get my head around this, that they actually long to look into these things that one day the suffering of Jesus has passed and the suffering we experience has passed and Jesus returns and wins the ultimate victory. And then we share in his glory in its fullness. And angels right now long to look into these things. So let me bring all these things together. Who are we? We're a people who suffer. We're a people bound for glory. Who are you? Who are you? I'll come back to the story. So at the football game, the, the opposition fans are, they're chanting, who are you? Who are you? And the Tottenham fans are sitting there and I'm thinking, gee, they're, they're being very quiet. And then the whole stadium starts to sing together. And they sing this song that was stirring. We are Tottenham. We are Tottenham. And they just, they just stood up and they pointed at the opposition and they said, we are Tottenham. And, and it was this declaration. This is who we are. As believers, will we stand up and say, this is who we are. We know who we are. We are the people who have been chosen. We are the people who in this life are exiles because we have a home that is in heaven. We are the people who have been saved. We are the people who have been covered by the blood of Jesus. We're the people who have received the mercy of God. We are the people who live in the grace of God. We are children of God. We hold on to a living hope. We are citizens of heaven. We have an inheritance that will never perish or spoil or fade. We're a people who understand that suffering in this life is part of our journey but we know that we are a people who one day will experience the fullness of the glory of God because of the immense grace of God that he's shown us that's who we are and this, tonight I really just had the privilege of telling you who you are so may God bless you and may God uh, be with you and I just want to finish with uh, this little blessing, this words in the end of verse 2 that Paul, that Peter uh, spoke and really prayed for the people of, uh, of these regions that he spoke into. He said these words, grace and peace be yours in abundance. May grace and peace be yours in abundance in this season. Whatever your circumstances right now in this season, May grace and peace be yours in abundance because you know who you are. Let me pray. Father, I pray uh, for those who are hearing this message who, who, who know that they have believed in Jesus as Saviour and Lord and are living to serve Him. Uh, may we, uh, may we praise you. May we rejoice in your goodness, in all of, the, all of the wonderful blessings that you have poured out for us and have promised us. May we rejoice. May we be a people of praise. May we be a people of boldness, people who claim our identity. No, 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 a proud strutting away, uh, around kind of a way, but with a, with a humility and a grace in which we just live out our faith, 
showing the love of Jesus, the compassion of Jesus, the mercy of Jesus, extending that far and wide wherever we are scattered. And I pray for anyone who has never known this hope, never put their trust in Jesus. If you want to do that tonight, I remind you that faith and salvation, that salvation comes not by works, but by grace, but by simply putting your faith in Jesus, saying, Jesus, I want to follow you and I want to know you and I want to, I want to be forgiven and I want, to, I want to give my life to you. A simple act of faith in Jesus is the first step of a journey in, uh, in knowing Jesus, in being saved. In fact, it is the first and the complete step in salvation. Put your trust in Jesus. May you tonight, if that's you and you want to do that, know that actually you can do that. And may you have the courage to take that step. And I pray that God would give you that courage. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for being with us. We're going to finish with worship. If you've prayed that prayer for the very first time, I would encourage you more than anything to touch base with someone that you know who's a believer or send us a message. We would love to connect with you. May God bless you in the week ahead. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.